when you hear songs that align with what you want to talk about or what you're going to speak about, you know that the Spirit of God is moving. It's moving in this place. So I just want to thank you, praise team, for raising up these songs of purpose, <laughs> these songs that point to the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives. Amen? So the past weeks we've been talking about spiritual transformation. Oh, that is such an exhaustive topic that we can't really cover in a series. It's a lifelong lesson, you know. Because we're always on that journey of transformation. Do you agree with me? Spiritual transformation is a process of becoming like Jesus. And that's powerful to think that God wants to make us in his image is a powerful thought. Because God, as we know it, supersedes anything that we can imagine. Even begin to ask, think, or even imagine. And for him to want to shape us in his image is an awesome thought for reflection. One of my favorite shows that I used to watch when I could get HGTV was Extreme Makeover. Any of you remember that show? And then it became the Extreme House Makeover. I liked a lot about the show because it had to do with redemption, really. Redemption of the old and making it new. And you've got to admit that there were some powerful stories as well that accompanied these projects. They would take you into the life of people, what they're struggling with, what they're coping with, and sometimes, frankly, not coping with. And then here comes um, the, the producers of the show showing up at their door and knocking and saying, you, um, I don't remember the welcome, but in other words, you are the winner of the next makeover. Like, I don't know how much of it is staged or whatever, but you're excited after you hear the stories of these people, right? And I found it captivating from that perspective, but I also found it captivating from the art, the art, the work of art that is put into these projects. The presumed life change that occurs for these struggling candidates and, and the compassionate heart in us is stirred when we see that these families really deserve a break today, you know? They really deserve for something good to happen to them. And we rejoice with them. And we also love how the community around them become engaged in their story and their journey and the redemption of their story. Bring families together, neighbors together, and everybody work together to transform a space. And then we tear up. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a crybaby. We tear up when we hear the shout saying, move that bus, <laughs> move that bus, and you're excited because you want to see what's behind the bus. And then we see it, and the family see it, and the little kids, if they have kids, they rush into the house. They're so excited to see the transformation of their space. And some of these spaces, the before, mm, everything is broken. The pipes don't work, you know, and the lawn is a mess and the inside is a mess and it's dilapidated and the conditions, sometimes there's rats, there's roaches, there's everything that is bad. But then the guys come in Sometimes in the process of the transformation, they can't just make little repairs here and there. Sometimes they got to tear the whole thing down. 
and start from the beginning, from the very foundation and rebuild a home because little repairs just can't work. You know what happens when we make little repairs? They break open again. Because sometimes you got to go and dig up the very foundation and straighten out that whole building. And when I thought of that, I thought this is a metaphor for my life, for your life, for our spiritual life. That sometimes we need a transformation, not just any transformation, but an extreme <laughs> makeover. And you know, our bodies, our lives are like houses where the spirit of God is expected to live. But in order for the spirit of God to live in us, sometimes we got to do a makeover. Sometimes the makeover is not just fixing little things, but it needs an extreme tear down, turn around, rebuild you know, the ancients believer, the ancients, they believed that God lived in a house. The tabernacle, the temples were deemed the house of God where the spirit of God dwells. The ancient believers would worship God in these sacred spaces for generations. The people cared for these spaces with, with great reverence and meticulous care. They had to have the right bowls and the right utensils in the temple. They had to care for everything from the grounds outside to the interior to making sure that the house of God was worthy of the presence of God. It was serious enough that Jeremiah and the prophets, they condemned the people when they take care of their own homes and had the fancy couches and all of that. But the house of God laid in, in poor state. They were serious. They were serious about these tabernacles, these synagogues, and these temples where they worshipped God, where they anticipated the presence of God. And so they made sure that these places were pristine. But you know, as we moved forward into God's intention to not tabernacle in buildings made by hand, but to tabernacle on our hearts. Sometimes I wonder, do we take the same meticulous care of these temples that have become the places where God will reside? Are we unquestionably meticulous about how we care for the temple of God? This evolution of the spiritual house is important to understand spiritual transformation. The question of where we encounter God. Do we encounter God in abstract places? Or are we encountering God where he truly desired to live? In our hearts. This is his home. The question of where the spirit dwells is seen in the story with Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in John 4, 19. That's not our text today. I'm still introducing the topic. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers 
the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. What we have here is the embodiment of God combining with our spirits as he comes and takes residency in us, it changes where we worship. It changes where we worship. But it also changes how we worship. Because if God is truth and in him there is no lie and he's living inside of me and you, then our worship will be true. Not based on our own selves and our own righteousness, but based on the one who dwells within us. So it brings us into truthful worship. Oh, don't you just long to know that every time you open your lips, it is not you that's speaking, but the spirit of God that is speaking in and through you. Jesus is teaching this woman that things are shifting. God is now engaging with humanity directly. The house where the spirit lives is not created by external trappings of religion, but on the throne of the human heart. The letter to the Hebrews alluded to this in the explanation that Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with the blood <laughs> that is not his own sin. Once and for all, one sacrifice, no more need to keep going back to the altar and slaying another lamb for your sin. The precious lamb of God died once and for all for sinners. Amen. You know, last week I share a bit of my testimony with you of how I kept going to the altar. I kept going to the altar. You know, we need to get to that place where we're not constantly having to confess sins that God has already forgiven. God has already forgiven. But sometimes we can't let go. One songwriter says, he's already cast our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, but we are the ones that keep reminding him over and over again because we're trapped in our own condition. When Jesus said, whom the sun sets free... It's for indeed. When we commit our bodies to the living God, we are transformed to the will of the spirit of God. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Because if I am living in me, I'm a carnal being. But when the Holy Spirit comes and embodies me, he transforms me into his image. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. But there's a precondition. We can't just honor God with any old body. You know, sometimes I've had experiences in my community work and I'm always amazed at hoarders. Have you ever met hoarders? Or maybe you're a hoarder. Fess up if you're a hoarder. Some of us know we're hoarders. It's a personality defect, do you know that? But where does it come from? You, you sang this song today. I am no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. I could preach on that song. I was reading in uh, Henry Nguyen's uh, book on spiritual formation. And I got to read this to you. Because I, I think 
it helps to explain a lot about why some people need an extreme makeover, both physically and spiritually. Fearful hoarders. Once there was a group of people who surveyed the resources of the world and said to each other, how can we be sure that we have enough in hard times? We want to survive whatever happens. You remember when the pandemic hit, you couldn't get toilet paper? Because some people feel like they deserve more than others? Just saying. We want to survive whatever happens. So let's start collecting food and knowledge so that we're safe and secure when a crisis occurs. So they started hoarding so much and so eagerly that other people protested and said, you have much more than you need. While we don't have enough to survive, Give us a part of your wealth. But the fearful holders said, no, no. We need to keep this in case of an emergency. In case things go bad for us too. In case our lives are threatened. But the others said, we're dying now. Please give us food and materials and knowledge to survive. We can't wait. We need it now. Then the fearful hoarders became even more fearful since they became afraid that the poor and the hungry will now attack them. So they said to one another, let us build walls around our wealth so that no stranger can take it from us. They started erecting walls so high that they could not even see anyone, whether they were enemies outside the walls or not. As their fear increased, they told each other, our enemies have come so numerous that they may be able to tear down our walls. Our walls are not strong enough to keep them away. We need to put some explosives and enough barbed wire on the top of our walls so nobody will dare even come close to us. But instead of feeling safe and secure, Behind their armed walls, they found themselves trapped in the prison they had built with their own fear. Henry Newing, in a speech he gave, fear is what causes us to hold on to the things in life that brings absolutely zero satisfaction. Zero satisfaction. Do you realize the pandemic is teaching us something? The pandemic is teaching us that all the things that we were grappling for, all the things that we were running to the malls and the stores for, don't mean a thing because we can live without them. Fear. Fear is what drives us into that place where we're closed in in our own life that we can't even see the light of God. Fear. But here, that's our precondition. I want to say that fear fundamentally creates all the tension that we have experienced in our lives. When fear comes into our life from birth, we begin to navigate ways in which to get ahead in life. I heard someone say, you never teach a child to lie. When children are born, they're not liars. But as soon as they reach toddlerhood, and they begin to figure out that if they do something wrong, they will be reproached, fear kicks in, 
And fear says, I'm going to get into trouble. And you say to this little child who was so sweet and innocent, who was so pure and lovely, and you say to the child, did you remove this thing? And the child realized that they could be in trouble and they right away learned to lie. How does that happen? Because in our nature, there's no truth in us. We learn very quickly to cover our shame out of fear. And this is the paralyzing problem with fear. Behind every sinful act, behind every ill behavior that human beings have, there is fear. Fear captivates our heart. When you think of extreme home renovations and why they're needed, they're often clothed in fear. Fear keeps people trapped in homes that need work. Roaches are running over you at night. Mice is running all over your house. And you're so afraid of the mice that you can't take action to get rid of them. Do you know that is how sin plays in our human lives as well? We know this habit is destroying our lives. We know this habit is destroying our homes. We know this habit is... We do zero to change our circumstance. I'm now, I, I'm now on the lead mic. <laughs> we do zero to change our circumstance because we're paralyzed by fear. Oh, if I tell the truth and I confess, they're going to kick me out the church. If I tell the truth and tell my wife or my husband that I'm having an extramarital affair, the marriage is over. If I tell my children the truth of my past and where God has brought me from, they're going to say, oh my gosh. Tr truth. Truth overrides fear. And you see, that is what the devil used to keep us trapped. You know, I've met so many helpless souls who live in conditions that you just want to call the public health department to have their house confiscated because it's no longer livable. And they know it. They're living in the home and they know that the home is not livable but they're helpless. They're paralyzed by faith, by, by fear. They know that they need an extreme makeover, but sometimes they're paralyzed by fear and helplessness because they believe that no one can help them to get out of this mess. They need an extreme makeover. It's gone beyond just the, the stuff of, you know, let's fix this leak or fix this kitchen or fix this or fix that. It now needs to be confiscated. And sometimes in the journey of that, they need someone to come alongside them and say the truth. Many years ago, I had to do that. I was going, I was visiting someone and they had a whole bunch of animals in the apartment. When you walk in, you have to be careful where you step because the feces were everywhere. And this person was incapable of cleaning it. The dogs were, were just biting her up and they were hungry many times. 
Nobody wanted to go visit, and I did, and I said, this has got to stop. I'm going to have to call the public health. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is hard to do. When you realize that someone is trapped in a condition and you have to be the voice of truth because you realize that you're going to be enemy number one. You call the public health on me? Sometimes we got to take those risks and call out the truth. Long story short, the, the, the dogs all end up in a, in a pound and the cats and everything. The animals were all taken away because they were unsafe. They were in an unsafe environment. And that was a tough call to make. And sometimes in our spiritual lives, we've got to make some tough calls. We've got to assess our life situation and see what is holding us back from that power that God has given to us to release us from fear. But what is holding you back? What is holding you back from that makeover that your heart so desire, long for, and need for your survival. It is that coming to a place where we're face to face with our sinful state. And sometimes the truth is so hard to face. On the heart level, we recognize that our habits and our practices in life are not healthy and at times destructive. But do we rejoice when there's a whistleblower? Do we rejoice when someone calls us out? Do we re rejoice when we recognize that we're failing? That our house is crumbling around us. Sometimes that's our spiritual state. But sometimes we're so paralyzed that we can't even fix ourselves. And this is the truth. None of us can fix ourselves. No amount of righteous, holy act and external appearance can fix the condition of our hearts. We need to understand that God alone is the fixer-upper. Sometimes we just got to get on our knees and cry out to God and say, God, my life is a mess. My life is a mess. I'm going to church. I'm singing in the choir. I'm doing all the religious stuff, but I'm filled with fear and confusion. Because wherever there's fear, there is confusion. Wherever there's fear, there are problems. And so we, we have to get to the place where we recognize that our environment is unhealthy. And I'm not just talking about our physical environment, but the environment of our heart, of our soul. It's a mess and it's filthy. But sometimes we don't see it. You know, when we don't see it, it's because we are building this self-righteous kingdom and telling ourselves, I'm, I would go to church all my life. I live a moral life. I'm okay. But what, what, what about the corruption that is sitting in your soul that comes from patterns of fear? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. When we have fear in our lives, we are in a, a place of immobility. We can't move. We see that there's something wrong, but we can't move. And not only are we transfixed, those around us are messed up as well. Because we're not just holding them back. We're holding the people around us as well. Because we're trapped in a cycle of fear. Look around us. Look around us in our communities today. In our society. There is a heightened fear. And it's not just about COVID-19. COVID-19 is only revealing the condition that was already there. 
It is just exposing that we are a world of people who are filled with fear. And we've seen in the political system what fear has been doing. Because once you begin to fan the flames of fear, you get people all riled up about every little thing. Fear leads to misinformation, propaganda, and before you know it, governments fall. Look at the condition of Ottawa today. Look at the condition of Ottawa today. What are these people doing? They're driven by fear. Fear leads to confusion. And in our personal life, as it is in the political landscape of our world, whether it's Russia emerging onto Ukraine, it's all from a place of fear because fear wants people to have power because they feel like if they have the power to build the walls and the security around them, that they'll be okay. But there's always another power that threaten to undo that power. And we find ourselves living in a cycle of fear. And it's the true, what is true in the natural is true in the spiritual. Fear can cause our spiritual houses to become run down. The longer we stay in the mess, the more immune we can become to our condition. You realize that? These bad habits and practices that we cultivate, the longer we stay in them, the more immune we become to them. Some of us have a heightened awareness. And, and you know, just as you have heightened awareness physically, we need to have that heightened awareness spiritually as well. Without fail, every morning I come down, or if I go out and I come back in, I would say to my husband that garbage needs to be emptied. And he'd say, I just emptied it last night. I'm like, I know, but it needs to be emptied. And he would say to me, what's wrong with you? <laughs> And I say to him, what's right with my nose? Because I'm cursed in a way with a heightened smell and a heightened hearing. And I would hear the, the, the faintest static on our electronics. And I'd say to my husband, turn that down, turn that off. And he's like, what's wrong? Why are you always hearing stuff? And I'm like, because I am, I'm super sensitive to smell and to hearing. That is an awareness when things in your environment is not right. But we need to have that same awareness when things in our lives spiritually are not right. Because you see, transformation comes through knowledge. Transformation comes through knowing the word of God and knowing what is right and what is wrong. But not just from an intellectual level. Not just because you study the word of God. Not just because you argue the word of God. Not just because you have a, a capacity to dissect the word of God and know the right exegesis and the right homiletics and the right way of navigating the word. It has to come to that place where the word not only renews your mind, it transforms your spirit. A lot of people know how to fix their homes, but may not be bothered by it. Do you know what I mean? They see things are falling apart and they're like, oh well. One of these days. And so what started as a dripping pipe? Leak, leak, leak. They know it's leak. They're like, oh, one of these days when I get some money, I'll fix that. And what would have cost them just a few bucks to repair? 
it keeps, it, it keeps dripping. And before you know it, the wood is rotting. The water is creating mold and mildew and all kinds of things. And what would have been a repair that may have just cost a few bucks turned out to needing the whole kitchen or bathroom ripped out and cost you much more. You know, sometimes when we pay little attention to our spiritual journey and our walk with God and our capacity to please him and to become like him, we will pay dearly the consequences because sin has consequences. That recognition of our rundownness and our messes that make us feel paralyzed by fear. We have to remember the word of God that says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because God wants us to walk out of the fear. Because if he said that he set us free, then walk like you're free. The difference is when a person is trapped in fear. We lose our capacity. We lose our ability. We become stymied in our walk. We have no confidence. We're like, I don't know. I'm going to step here, but. But when you walk in the power of Jesus Christ. You can push back. On the things that keep you prisoner. The habits that hold you back. One of my favorite is John Bunyan's book that he wrote. And he, apart from, from, from just um, creating this metaphor for the Christian life, he himself came to the understanding of something that was happening within he understood that when we come face to face with Jesus, fear has to go. And it is replaced by strength of hope. Pilgrim's progress. The fact that it's a progression tells us that it's a journey of overcoming I am not where I used to be. I'm moving. I'm progressing because I understand what is ahead of me. And I want to get there. John Bunyan in his journey had come to a place of despair. And one day he was going through a field and it happened. Just the light of God just broke through in his spirit, transforming him. And he was never, ever the same. It happens like that. There are people in this life who will never grace a church, who would never come to a place of an altar, but they find Jesus. I was watching um, Yes TV the other night showing this native Indian man who was a drunk, an alcoholic, abusive, and he was doing all of these things with his life. And he came to the place of suicide. That place where he was in such deep despair because he could not fix his life. Never try to fix your life because we can't. And in his telling of his story, he said he took a shotgun and he went up to this hill to kill himself. And as he was getting ready and he clicked the gun to pull the trigger, a voice came to him. Damn, you don't want to do that. He said he tried again and the next time he clicked, the voice again spoke to him. That he wasn't finished with him. He was a man who had gone through a lot. And he said, for the first time, 
I opened my eyes and I saw nature. And I saw God. And in that moment, his life was transformed. But not only was his life transformed, his wife's life, wife was transformed, his children's life were transformed, his entire community was transformed because he used to be a drug dealer and all the people he used to go to and sell drugs, he was able to go to them and present them with the love of Jesus. You see, this is what transformation does. It tears down all the walls that we build around us so people can see our true selves our metamorphosized selves. There's a song that I like. Um, I think it's um, one of these um, groups today. It says, are you hurting and broken within within Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Leave your regrets and mistakes. Come to Jesus. There's no reason to wait. Bring all your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. And here's the, here's the beauty about this song. It says, oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. No judgment. Just love for every prodigal son and every prodigal daughter. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Father's arms are always Open wide, come to the altar. I say, oh, what a savior. Oh, what a savior. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Pow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Transformation happens at the cross, my friends. We cannot do it on our own. No more than these helpless people who find themselves buried on the ashes of financial debt and confusion and sickness and the stuff of life that happens to them that keeps them trapped. No more can we when our lives are not in line with God. Romans 12 and 2 says do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So then that you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what perfect transformation looks like. Perfect transformation is having your life transformed, not according to your own pattern of living, but according to the will of God. What pleases God? Isaiah says, my righteousness is as filthy rags. But if I have the righteousness of Christ, that will please the Father. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church there. He says to them, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Just, just imagine that. Just imagine what you're looking at. You're contemplating the glory of God. Isaiah said he saw him high and lifted up and the veil of his robe, it fills the temple. The glory of God is what we long for. He said, 
Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is. It is good. It is pleasing. And it is perfect. God's will for your life is good. God's will for your life is pleasing. And God's will for your life, my friends, is perfect. Paul says that we see through a glass darkly. But then one day face to face, we will see him as he is. Why? Because we will be like him. But God is preparing us now so that we will be like him and so that we'll be able to see him as he is. We cannot see him in a sinful state. We need God's Holy Spirit to begin to transform us now so that we will be ever increasing in his likeness until we see him face to face. You know why? Jesus declared the kingdom of God is living in you. The kingdom has come. Because ultimately our citizenship is not here. God is preparing us for the glorious place that he's gone to prepare for us. Paul reminded the Philippian church of that as they were navigating life. Get rid of all the stuff because God is preparing you for something beautiful. God is preparing you for your home. Amen. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. One of the hardest tasks as a pastor is to do funerals because we declare things over the dead that we sometimes know. We don't even know where that person is going. As we empathize with the grieving, we want them to have this amazing hope. But that's not the time to be thinking. It's when we are alive, quickened in our bodies, and we know right from wrong. The awareness is now. We can only be helped by the Holy Spirit if we're aware of our failures, if we're aware of the sin that is lying in our bodies, The Bible says that perfect love cast out all fear. This is God's will to perfect his love inside of us. And when the love of God is deep in our hearts, all the things that are holding us back, the fears that we harbor in our hearts, they got to go. Because God's love is on the inside. Amen? And when God's love is on the inside of us, fear exists. Then we're able, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. But as long as we allow fear to mitigate, to continue to spread in our lives, love cannot mitigate the problems that come our way. Jesus said in John 13 and 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. That's what transformation is. Transformation is expressed in a new construct 
and it's called loved. Love. God loves us. And then he puts his love inside of us. And then he expects us to love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. Here's a sad reality about the extreme makeover. Do you know that all of those stories didn't end well? Because material possessions are not enough to change hearts. We watch people whose lives seem to be broken because of the home they live in. Doesn't matter whether you live in a hut or a mansion. If God is not in your life, it's not going to change your story. We hear stories from these home makeovers that are heartbreaking. We hear of lawsuits that have ensued because some of these individuals feel exploited because they thought that their story was being used by the ABC or whatever the different newscasters were. And some of them have taken them to court. Some of them are habitual spenders and hoarders. So the house gets all nicely cleaned up for the show. Right? But there's something internal that caused the problem in the first place. And before you know it, this beautiful home that we say, move that bus, move that bus, that beautiful home you see needs lawn maintenance, needs, no matter how new the house is, it will need maintenance. But if your habit have not been corrected, it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside, it's what's on the inside that counts. Can I just be real? It don't matter if your hair look just right. I regret the hour or more I spent on my hair this morning because it still don't look right. And who, you know, like, who am I trying to impress? Last week I tried. I said to my husband, how my hair look? He said, it look like you didn't know what to do with it. I said, you're right. <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> Life is like that. If we don't fix the internal stuff, it doesn't matter what kind of house you put us in. You know, there's an old saying that you put a pig in a palace. I, I, I hate to make that application, but it's still a pig. We can put on all the makeup in the world. We can dress in all the right clothes. We can look polished on the outside. But it's our heart. The condition of our heart that matters to God. Getting it right. Not how airbrushed you look on the outside. But what God is looking at is our inside. And what is true in the physical is true in the spiritual. We've got a gift that God has put inside of us. It is called the Holy Spirit. But we can walk around in poverty of spirit because we have not nurtured the spirit that is inside of us. So we walk around every day looking miserable, I could, I could be that disconnected. Here are the times you say, Lord Jesus, just come and help me right now. Because I don't feel transformed. I don't feel like I'm walking right. I don't feel like I'm following your footsteps. God, come and help me now. But that comes from a place of hunger and thirst. 
for righteousness. And Jesus declared that if we have that hunger and thirst, we will be filled. We won't just be filled, but we'll be running over, overflowing. There's an old story I read about a man who went to a Buddhist priest because he wanted to know, how do I find that place of fulfillment and contentment? And the story is told that the Buddhist priest just sat in front of him. He didn't say a word. He was just pouring tea in a cup as the man sat and observed. And as he poured the tea, the cup, it came higher and higher with the liquid inside of it. But the man just kept pouring. And the guy is watching and he's getting all agitated because he doesn't understand why he don't see that the cup is full. And so he kept pouring and it was just overflowing the cup. And as it's overflowing the cup, the Buddhist priest just kept pouring and pouring. And the man finally said, enough! What are you doing? Don't you see? It's running all over. And the priest said to him, that's the point. You want contentment? You got to keep pouring it in. You got to keep pouring it in. You got to keep pouring it. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you think this water that you're coming at this well to drink from is going to solve your issues and your deep thirst. He said it won't. It would only give you temporary satisfaction. But the water that I give, I will pour in. As long as you receive it, I will pour in. And I will pour in and it will be like a fountain. Flowing over in your life in abundance over and over and over. And that water that I give you, you will never thirst again. That's transformation. God wants to move us from our empty lives that we're living and fill us to the overflowing of his grace and his spirit and his glory and his presence and that my friend is transformation when you can get up in the morning and say oh it is Jesus it is Jesus in my soul. Oh, I have touched the hem of his garment. He has cleansed me and made me whole. And you can come to the end of the day and you can say again, it is Jesus. Oh, it is Jesus. Jesus wants to bring us to that place where our lives is not just going through the motion, but we're filled with a abundance of his presence to meet every heartache and every pain and every trial and every persecution because it is Jesus in our souls. He did not come to live in temples made with human hands, but he came to live within our spirits, in our heart and find his place there so that our lives will be filled to the overflowing in Jesus. Amen. We're not just going through emotions but we're filled with his goodness and it's running all over us amen I pray today that in this journey of transformation you will continue to find yourselves going deeper and deeper in the love of Jesus and whatever shackles are holding you back you can throw them off because you know that whom the sun sets free is free indeed amen amen could you stand I want to pray for you Father God, we thank you today that you're still transforming lives. Lord, we thank you today that you've come into our lives so that we don't have to be the people we were. We can walk into the future, the people that you have made us to be. Thank you for your transforming love. Hallelujah. Thank you for your transforming grace. Thank you for sin set free. 
Thank you for the bondage that you've loosed from our feet. Thank you for taking the chains off of our minds. Thank you that we can walk in confidence and power for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Thank you God that we're not the person we used to be. We're not always the people oh God that you wanted us to be but by your grace by your grace by your grace by your mercy hallelujah we're glad today that you've come to set us free thank you for living on our hearts hallelujah thank you for living on the throne of our hearts thank you for rescuing us from the misery of life hallelujah thank you for chains that are broken this morning because of the promise of your word speak to some heart today God who are shackled by guilt and shame speak to some heart today that needs deliverance God speak to some hearts who have traded in your beauty for the ashes of this world and God I pray today that souls will be made free by the power of your love by the power of your word and that we too will be so freed that we can walk in that love so the world will know that you are Lord in the mighty name of Jesus free us today God in Jesus name hallelujah praise God